Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. Happy Mother's Day for those of you who are here, for those of you joining us online. We're so glad you chose to celebrate with us today. For all the moms out there, I just want to tell you how thankful we are for you. Oh my goodness, there are probably days when you think, is it worth it? Is anything that I'm doing making a difference? I just want to tell you from up front, it is making not just a little difference, it's making an eternal difference what you're doing. Thank you so much for investing in this next generation, and we appreciate it a ton. I also re realize that on a day like today, some of us are also here and we're grieving. And um, for some of us, our moms have passed away. For others, uh, we've wanted to be mothers for some time and we haven't been able to, for that to happen. Some of us have lost children. Some of us have strained relationships with our mothers. The list goes on and on. And so whenever we're in the midst of a situation like this, we, we are, as a church, called to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so no matter where you are this morning, I just want to say you're welcome here with us at Browncroft. I want to just start off by saying where I'm at this morning and where I'm at I'm in that grieving category this morning. Uh, it was about 17 months ago that I lost my mom to COVID after she battled Parkinson's disease and dementia for a, a time. And I don't think a day has gone by that I haven't thought about her every single day since that happened. And three weeks ago, uh, I received a call and my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and um, went to the hospital, saw him. Two weeks ago, my dad was placed in hospice. Nine days ago, my dad passed away. So I stand in front of you, my church family, with a heavy heart this morning as I talk about this. This isn't, grieving isn't some distant thing to me, it's very real. So if you're here this morning and, and you are experiencing grief, I want to let you know I know what it's like to walk in your shoes. And rather than rush into what I'm going to be talking about this morning, I thought it would be good for us to pause. And I would like for you to think about, as we pause for just 30 seconds, I'm going to keep track of the time so you don't have to worry about it. Who are the people who have invested in your life? Who are those people that believed in you maybe when you didn't even believe in yourself? Who, if it weren't for them, maybe you wouldn't even be sitting here today. Who are those people? Just reflect on that, even for 30 seconds. I'll bring us back when it's time to think about that. As you think about those people, aren't you filled with gratitude and thankfulness? Thankfulness that they took the time to care for you as a person. 
that they invested in you when maybe no one else did? That's a bit of what we're talking about here this morning, talking about making disciples. Um, I told a, a few weeks ago, I told a, a story that we discovered the, the book of the first meeting when Browncroft was, was organized as a church. And I want to show you the picture of the first couple pages of that book um, back up here. This is the first couple pages, the first meeting of Browncroft, May 17th, 1922. hundred years ago, almost, you know, to the day. It's a couple, a week away. May 17th, 1922. Here's all the names of the people that were at that meeting. They're up there on those pages. There's a lot of things we might be able to say or commonalities about those people. Here's one, though, that I think stands out to me. None of those people are with us anymore. None of those people are with us. And yet, Browncroft remains a thriving church 100 years later. How did that happen? How does it work that that happened? Here's my hypothesis. It isn't that we had a bunch of charismatic leaders. I'm sure there were some over the years. It wasn't about the building. There's been different buildings throughout the years. It wasn't about a great strategic plan. I'm sure they've, there's been many of those throughout the years as well. Here's what it has meant. People have invested in people, have invested in people, have invested in people to the fact that we're sitting where we're sitting today. We are here because these people invested in people, invested in people, and that's where the living legacy of that happening. In Christian terms, we call this process discipleship. That's a very churchy term, okay? Uh, You aren't going to hear that outside of the church very often. The word disciple literally means learner. That's what it means. So when we think of that, sometimes we have this like academic side to that. It it, it can include academic side. But let let me explain it a little further to you. If you were a disciple of Mozart, let's say, you wouldn't just know about Mozart or his music you would actually be playing music in the style that Mozart played. You'd be learning from Mozart and playing music in the way that Mozart played music. If you were a disciple of Van Gogh, you wouldn't just know stories about Van Gogh or about the way he painted. You would be actually painting in the style of Van Gogh. Just like we as Christians, if we are disciples of Jesus, it's not just intellectual facts that we're knowing, It's actually living those things out in our lives. We are actually living the way that Jesus lived his life. We are representing Jesus to the world around us. One of my favorite quotes about discipleship is from Dallas Willard. He's a professor and theologian. He says this, "Um, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I think sometimes we have this idea that, that if you become a Christian, somehow all your personality gets zapped away. You know, like I think that's a fear of a lot of people for becoming Christians. It's like, oh, my whole personality is going to be absorbed into the, you know, system or something like that. And it takes, no, following Jesus, he wants, 
he's created you to be you, and he wants to live out your calling, his calling in your life through the way that he's created you, and that's a beautiful thing. So that's what discipleship is about. Um, and here at Browncroft, as Trisha alluded to earlier, we believe that the, really the, the message, the great commission that Jesus gives us really fuels this whole way forward of discipleship the Great Commission. About 50%, a recent survey said 50% of people who attend church regularly have no idea what the Great Commission is. My hope is, uh, you know, I'll bring those numbers down a little bit this morning, okay? So that hopefully together we can unpack the Great Commission a little bit together. It's from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. We're going to read this passage together and then just bring out a few highlights from it together. Matthew 28, 16 to 20 says this. Jesus has just been crucified, raised from the dead. He tells his disciples, hey, meet me at this mountain. I got some words, some final words for you. The disciples then say, okay, this is also new to us. We're going. So, so here's where the story picks up. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now I'm going to pause here. <laughs> because I believe this is so important for us this morning. Sometimes we, we make these two groups, worshipers and doubters. You're, you either worship or you doubt, but I love the fact that it's included in this passage. Sometimes we worship in the midst of doubt, and some of us are along that spectrum this morning in one way or another. No matter what, Jesus doesn't call them out and say, all you doubters shape up. He goes on to give them the same message. Okay, so no matter where you're feeling this morning, you're like, John, I'm bringing in doubts. Hey, I know what that's like. Here's the message that Jesus gives them. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're just going to look at a few principles from this passage together about what discipleship really is. Okay, the first one is this. Discipleship is countercultural. Discipleship is countercultural. Verse 18, Jesus starts by saying, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, some people I meet say, Jesus is a good teacher. It's, you know, he was a great teacher, that kind of thing. This actually isn't a good teacher statement. You have to be a pretty crazy good teacher to say something like this. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I am the one with all power. I'm the one who controls everything. And that's the framework in which we are called to disciple. It's a very humbling thing. It's very countercultural. In our culture, we say we create our own identity, right? I mean, that's the narrative that's around us, is that I be, you can be, I can be whatever I want to be, and we create our own identity. That's not what this is saying. Jesus is saying, actually, I'm the one with all power and authority. Everything belongs to me. You know, I think one of the sad things that I've observed over time uh, has been the way that even as Christians we can get polarized in different things and forget this. 
this basic principle. The early Christians used to, this was the most controversial phrase for early Christians. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Totally controversial phrase. Sometimes you hear it now and you don't, it doesn't have the pop. But back then, culturally, everybody, if you were under Rome, you would have to say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one with all control, all authority. The early Christians came to the point where they said, Jesus is Lord. In other words, I'm living for a kingdom that is not part of the kingdom of this world. And unfortunately, one of the things that gets me saddest is when Christians are drawn into some of the the ways that the world operates. And sometimes I, I think we might be just as happy if someone switched their political party to the same political party we are at uh, as that we would be if they decided to follow Jesus with their lives. I don't want to step on any toes, but that's, I think, one of the things we have to look at in our lives and question, is that, is that my heart? Um, and then also it just challenges our own grasping for power and control in our own lives. Where, where do I have control? It, the posturing that we have on social media and all of that. Following Jesus says, no, that is, that is off. That is no longer an issue because Jesus is the one with authority. Jesus goes on in the passage and says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit in teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So this this next part here, discipleship is intentional. Discipleship is intentional. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations. This is the, the critical command in the whole passage. First is go. And that's, it's really translated, it's actually as you are going, so it's not just go somewhere out there, it's as you're going about your daily life, as you're going and doing what you're doing, as you're sitting down for a meal, as you're traveling in the car, as you're having conversations with your kids, as you're having a conversation with your neighbor, as you're gardening, whatever it is, as you're going about life, as you go, make disciples, That's the key phrase in here is make disciples of the whole passage. Now, can I be honest with you? This word make, I don't really like. It's in the Bible, but I, you know, I I think, and it's actually out in the hallway too. So we have a a big thing. It says uh, invite, make, mobilize. I don't actually like the word make because I think as, as a culture, we interpret the word make in the terms of like a factory setting, right? So my iPod gets made in a factory or iPod. When was the last time anybody had an iPod? <laughs> Holy cow. I'm showing my age here. Holy cow. Yeah, my iPhone, yeah, got made in a factory, right? Uh, our, my clothes get made in a factory. It's all, it's all very linear. It's all very, right? Well, that, I don't think that's the type of make that's involved here. Make here has more to do with craftsmanship than it does with a factory. There were no factories in Jesus' day. So imagine... It doing more like being more like Michelangelo, right? Kind of a make, making a sculpture, or Stradivarius making a violin. That's the way in which we're called to make disciples, this intentionality behind what we're doing. And he says, make disciples of all nations. That word nations means 
It's called ethnos. It means every ethnic group. Every ethnic group in the whole world, the ultimate vision is that ultimately there will be people from all over the planet celebrating who Jesus is. And for some of us, he might call us across the world to make that happen. And isn't that a beautiful thing that he might call us to places where we would have never dreamed of going so that we could make disciples? Well, discipleship is countercultural. It's intentional. Actually, let me show you a little video, or not video. Let me show you a little uh, diagram up here about the ways of Jesus in his discipleship, the intentionality here. Um, So people have noticed this. This isn't me that's made this. People have noticed this over the years. Jesus' discipleship was very intentional in the way he did it. First of all, he had the crowds on the outside, right? If you're here this morning, you're part of the crowds. You're learning about Jesus. He would teach the crowds. He would heal the crowds. He would feed the crowds. He did things with the crowds. But then underneath that, he had the 70. And in this 70, he prepared people for ministry. And he sent them out in his power to do things in his name that were amazing. And then in between, Underneath that, he had the 12, and those 12 he used to spend day after day with shepherding them. That's why we do things like small groups here, so that you can have a group of, a smaller group of people who you're doing life with. But even more than that, he had a group of three that he invested the majority of his time in, Peter, James, and John. And if I think about the areas that we have maybe going forward as a congregation, I think um, where we have opportunity is to those intentional relationships, those smaller groups of relationships where one life is investing in a couple other lives, a chunk of time at a time, a little bit at a time, investment, investment over the years. So discipleship is countercultural, it's intentional, but it's also relational. Jesus says that, you know, what we're supposed to do is baptizing and teaching. That's what he says. Baptizing and teaching. It takes a physical presence to be baptized, right? You can't just baptize yourself in your tub. I mean, you could, but you'd be kind of crazy, right? Just to go like, okay, and I believe, and there you go, right? Baptism is an outward declaration of an inward decision that you've made. We're actually having that in a couple weeks here at Browncroft. If you haven't done that yet, I'd highly encourage you to do that, to be baptized. But in order to do that, you need physical presence. The same thing with teaching. You need to be around people, to be taught by people. Now, you can get information other ways, but here's the fact that I've learned about discipleship over the years. More is caught than taught when it comes to discipleship. It's not just about downloading information into your brain. If you could do that, every discipleship would be done. YouTube would have us cured, right? We'd just be like, download all data about Jesus, and we would be fine. But we need to see it lived out in our lives in a very practical way. We need those people to be investing in our lives. Discipleship is not a solo activity. Well, I love the, the, the promise that Jesus gives us at the end. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the promise we carry with us about discipleship. Jesus is with us. We're not on our own. We're representing him, and we're going in his power. I've thought about this. I thought everybody needs examples of this, right? And so I thought, 
who is it in our church that I could give some examples about this from their life? And there's a few people that came to my mind, but one of them that stood off the top of my head was Kathy Roters. And I thought, it'd be great just to get Kathy's story about pouring into people's lives. So we did that. Here you go. Right away, Dwight and I decided to help with youth ministry. I had been mentored and discipled by a wonderful couple that were my youth pastor and his wife. They had been there for me through a lot of um, turbulence, I guess you could say. I grew up in an alcoholic home and it was a really raw and hard time, but they just kept pointing me to Jesus and I wanted to do that for somebody else. So it wasn't too much longer that uh, we had our first daughter, Jennifer, at Browncroft, and I was kind of floundering with what that would mean to be a mom and how I was so not ready and not equipped. I wanted to learn more about God, and I wanted to be passionate about Him so that my children would have something to um, aspire to. It's easy to, you know, say we're a believer, uh, but do we show passion and excitement? And that same principle followed through with my years of working in youth ministry. I didn't want to give the kids the status quo. I didn't want to give them a blah faith. I wanted them to have leaders and um, adults that they could look up to and say, I want what they have. To me, you can't go very far with a student unless you have a deep relationship where they genuinely know that you care, where you are transparent um, and not necessarily their superior. The situations where I was the most effective, where I could get at their level, um, bring up situations from my own past, my own history, my own spiritual journey to help them see that they weren't weird or strange or immature, they just were growing. I think anyone can be a discipler. And we know that by looking at the disciples. They were fishermen and they were the lower caste people of uh, Galilee. Um, yet Jesus called them because I think he was looking at their hearts. We can't disciple everyone, but we can disciple someone. And I think all of us, if we are Christ followers, should be doing that. Kathy has been a source of truth. She's always breathed truth into whatever situation I've been in. So situations change from high school to college to being a dad and a husband. She's always been somebody who breathes truth and honesty into every situation I've been part of. Kathy was there um, when I had my first child. She was there when my dad died. She was there um, when my second son was diagnosed with a brain condition and she was just um, that person that was present through it all. And I'm really grateful for Kathy. 
I can think of so many instances of just sitting on her couch and she would listen to my stories while we ate grilled cheese and tomato soup. She showed up at my house when I had my wisdom teeth out and I looked like a chipmunk. She had my favorite ice cream and just sat with me while I was in a daze. Um, she's showing up even now, 20 years later, I'll be working in my garden and Kathy will show up on a Saturday morning to help teach me about my plants. So there's so many things about Kathy, but I think just seeing her show up is been inspiring to me. She continually will remind me to get into the word when things are tough, when, when I have questions about what to do next as a mother, uh, she will remind me to pray for my children. And those are things that you know, I do regularly um, because of her encouragement sometimes, even when it's tough. She inspired me to be a youth group leader here. Uh, she inspired me in terms of how I approach my marriage and my faith in my marriage to now how I want to raise my kid and my son the way that she's brought up her family and invested in me as her, her, you know, being my second mom. I think I draw from Kathy. I want to be like her. I want to be that person for other young women in ministry, especially worship ministry, um, and just to be able to encourage them when they're running up against some difficult times. And uh, she's. She's an inspiration. I feel like there's kids coming in and out of my home that I want it to be a place where they feel loved, whether it be just random friends coming in and out, um, where they feel loved, where they feel Christ's love. Um, and hopefully, you know, they see how I parent my children and how maybe we're a little different. It's that idea of throwing a pebble in the pond. You know, you get to see the ripple effect and to see young women that I did mentor and lead in Bible studies who are now doing the same thing for other young women. That is my greatest joy. That gets me so like worked up and joyful and, and hopeful for the outlook of disciples in our in our culture today. Don't you love that story? Thank you, Kathy, for investing in people's lives. Um, I love Kathy's quote there at the end. It's my greatest joy. See, discipleship isn't a burden. It isn't something we have to do. Disciple is some, discipleship is something we get to do as an overflow of what God has done in our lives. It is a joy to invest in people's lives and then to watch them replicate their faith to the world around them. It's one of the greatest joys you can experience in life. Um, so discipleship is countercultural. Discipleship is intentional, discipleship is relational, but the one thing discipleship is not, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, is optional. Discipleship is not optional. It's a part of who we are as followers of Jesus. If you are a disciple, you will make disciples. That's what we do. And that's what my dream is for Browncroft as we think of the way forward together. I want to end just by sharing a 
more recent story with you, um, one that for me is personal and um, hit home to me over the last couple of weeks. Um, while my dad was in hospice, I think he was, he was having a tough time uh, coming to grips with the fact that his body was failing as quickly as it was. And, um, and uh, over the two weeks that he was sick, he, he would say often to me, I just want to play football right now. I just feel like getting out of bed and playing football. And, um, and so one of the final days that I, I got to visit with my dad when he was kind of coherent, um, I felt like God was saying, bring the football with you. And I was like, oh, this is weird. That's too weird, God. I can't do that. He's like, bring the football with you. So, um, so I did. I decided to bring the football to hospice. Um, now, my dad and I w- did not always see the world eye to eye. Um, he was a wrestler. I was more of a fisherman growing up. <laughs> um, I preferred a full pond of fish to a full Nelson. <laughs> but the one thing we always had in common was catch, ever since I was little. Whether it was baseball or football, whatever it was, we always had catch together. And um, so there I was, and I said, hey, Dad, I brought the football with me. And so we went out. It was one of those nice days. We went out, sat on the deck, sat in chairs across from each other, maybe six feet apart, not far. And I just started throwing the football. He caught it, threw the football back to me through the football, through the football back to me. Midway through, I realized, oh my goodness, this could be the last time that this happens. And after maybe seven or eight times, he sets the football down, just tired, couldn't, couldn't throw it anymore, and just set it beside him. And the thought crosses my mind, that was the last time I played catch with my dad. Eventually, a nurse comes in, takes care of some things. I get up, he gets up, I pick up the football. And I realize it's up to me now. It's up to me. And for for us as a congregation, it's up to us. We've had the football placed in our hands. We've had a generation of people who have gone before us, who've invested in lives ahead of them, and now it's our responsibility to take that and to say, will we invest in the next generation so that 25, 50, 100 years down the road, Browncroft may look different, but we're still people who are investing in the next generation. Will you be about that with me? Could we do that together? Let me pray for us. I want you to just reflect on a couple of things before we pray. First of all, who is it that you could learn from 
Who is it that God's placed in your life that you could learn from? Being a disciple is being a learner. Who could you learn from? And secondly, who is it that you could invest in? Who is it that you could sit down with and have coffee with and just pour your life into over time? What is the next step that God has for you in discipleship? What would it look like for you to live that out in your life? Think about that for a few seconds, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then the band's going to come out and allow us just to reflect on that a little more. Jesus, I thank you that you have placed us all here for a reason. And Lord, that somehow you have chosen to use us to spread your message to the rest of the world. Lord, for Browncroft, I pray that we will be a place where we take the football and we advance it the best that we can. We take it and and we keep on passing it on to the next generation, Lord. This isn't about us. This is about you, Jesus. Would you even speak to us in right here, right now? Speak to us. What's the step that you want us to take individually and collectively to follow you? We'll say yes, Jesus. We love you. In your name. i 
on your heart this morning, but know this, Jesus is with you. You're not called to do this on your own. None of us are called to do this on. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us. Let's celebrate that today. Moms, once again, we celebrate you today. Thank you for joining us. If you're newer here, we have a really great gift out there for you. Make sure you step by the, stop by the their welcome table out there to pick that up. And then finally, we do have that uh, gift going to Minnow Mothers in Need of Others. If uh, you want to do that, you can scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you have a fantastic Mother's Day. Thanks for joining us this morning.